0: Africa rise and shine Africa Zorza Africa Amuka Na Unai
1: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa and on double one nine two five kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu. In studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Horizon Shine at the SAWA, DRC health officials have revised down the number of Ebola deaths. And South Africa's president expresses concern over youth unemployment. In economics news, India's Mahindra opens its first assembly plant in South Africa. And in sports news, Madagascar opened their 2018 Kasafa Cup account with a victory. But first up, the news with Anne Moussa.
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. More than two dozen people have reportedly been killed in one of Cameroon's Anglophone regions, A local human rights lawyer and activist Akbo Bala has told Reuters that at least 34 bodies were found on Friday in Menka in Cameroon's northwest region. Another local source who visited Menka on Saturday said she saw a total of 29 bodies, including three outside a school, riddled with gunshot wounds. The Cameroonian army had told the media that government troops surrounded a hotel in Menka on Friday after they were tipped off to the presence of separatist rebels. Guinea's President Alpha Conde has reshuffled his government, appointing new finance and security ministers. No official reason has been given for the sweeping changes announced by state television. In his reshuffle, Conde replaced 13 out of 33 ministers in his government. Finance Minister Mala Daho Kaba was sacked and replaced by Mamade Kamara. Guinea's former ambassador to South Africa. The changes come amid heightened political tensions and speculation that Conde may be seeking to modify the constitution ahead of a 2020 election. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says during his first 100 days as the country's leader, government has been putting in efforts to tackle corruption and better the country as a whole he added that although the country was still in junk status government was doing everything in its power to boost the economy speaking exclusively to the public broadcaster sbc news last night Ramaphosa reflected on his hundred days in office
3: the level of confidence amongst our people has gone up they are positive about the way the country is being led in terms of going forward. And they're also positive about us uh, dealing with the problems that we have had in the past, problems such as uh, corruption and bad governance. What we've been involved in in the past, if you like, say, 100 days is actually to put the pillars, the building stones, to enable us to do even better.
2: State media in Ethiopia say authorities have pardoned a high-profile opposition leader who was sentenced to death in Absentia in 2009. And Agat Tege has been pardoned along with more than 700 other prisoners. The BBC's Mary Harper reports.
4: This is one of the most high-profile pardons so far. There was international outrage when Mr Andargachu, who's a British citizen, was arrested while transiting through Yemen and taken to an unknown location in Ethiopia. He's a founding member of Ginbot 7, an influential opposition group created at a time when dissent was not tolerated in Ethiopia. The Attorney-General said the decision to pardon Mr Andagachu and the other prisoners was made with the intention of widening the political space.
2: And finally, an Ebola vaccination campaign is expected to get underway in two rural areas, Bikoro and Iboko, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. This is where the latest deadly outbreak was declared this month. Another vaccination campaign is already underway in Badaka City. About 100 health workers have been vaccinated of the 10 confirmed Ebola deaths. Five occurred in Bikoro and two in Iboko and three in Wangata area of Mbadaka. The DRC's Health Ministry says in addition to the confirmed Ebola cases, there are also 13 probable cases and six suspected ones. That's the news, headlines at 8.30 Central African Time.
0: Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba, Africa... Nunca, na
1: South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa says youth unemployment keeps him awake at night. He spoke exclusively to SABC News as part of his reflection of 100 days in office. Ramaphosa has less than a year to the next elections and he says international banks have told him that the country is going to be one of the hottest
5: stocks this year. Nthakwanang report. Hey, out of a weekend long meeting of the National Executive Committee of the ruling party, President Cyril Ramaphosa continued to face a barrage of questions on his time in office. Up to now, he has made no reference to the tenure of his predecessor. He chooses only to call his tenure
6: a new dawn.
3: The level of confidence amongst our people has gone up. Uh, they are positive about the way the country Uh, is being led in terms of going forward and they're also positive about us uh, dealing with the problems that we have had in the past problems such as uh, corruption and problems such as uh, bad governance what we've been involved in in the past if you like say 100 days is actually to put the pillars the building stones to enable us to do even better
5: he has already appointed four investment envoys to attract at least 1.2 trillion rand in five years
3: unemployment is still a major challenge in our country inequality and poverty still reigning supreme amongst our people so those are the three challenges that we've got to address Uh, and even those who are in the country to unlock the bank vaults, and release the money so that we can build factories, we can invest in productive capacity and employ more and more of our people, particularly young people. Many young people are unemployed right now. That is what keeps me awake at night. I worry.
5: He faces fierce criticism from the opposition for what some call handling his comrades with kid loves, beginning with the exit of former President Jacob Zuma, his cabinet reshuffle that kept ministers implicated in state capture, and the protracted exit of Northwest Premier Supra Pelo. But he remains optimistic. The political noise,
3: political noise is is something else. I mean, they know wherever they invest that there will always be political noise and political competition. It is the policy certainty and the political stability that matters to investors. Uh, There's an international bank that uh, released a report recently that said South Africa in 2018 is going to be one of the hottest stocks, hottest investment destinations. And they say that based on what they can see unfolding in our country,
5: south africa has embarked on a campaign to assume a non-permanent seat of the u.n security council for the third time the african union and countries in the caribbean have endorsed the campaign but what will south africa's priorities be this time around the country has already taken a hard stance against israel for the killing of palestinians during the opening of the u.s embassy in jerusalem
3: there should never be a moment where uh, countries take unilateral action on issues that affect uh, the world and many other countries and indeed the people of the world. Human rights for us is the bedrock of our international policy, the sustainable developmental goals that have been adopted by the, the United Nations, Agenda 2063, we want to be the flag bearers for Agenda 2063. At the international levels.
5: In less than a year, South Africa will go to elections, and unfair or not, President Ramaphosa will be judged by what he does in his remaining period of this term. I'm Takwanangatani in Johannesburg.
1: South Africa's ruling African National Congress National Executive Committee has resolved that all regional conferences of the party will go ahead. That's except in areas where there are still deep internal problems within the party, particularly the kwazulu natal province. Conferences in key regions in that province were postponed amid squabbles and politically motivated killings. During its three-day meeting over the weekend, the NEC also discussed the report on the outcomes of the land summit and also reflected on the political situation in the northwest province. Amos Pajo reports.
7: Almost half of KZN's 11 regional conferences are yet to be held. Most regional meetings have been marred by violence in some cases and had to be postponed. The provincial task team set up by the party's national leadership has been battling to quell tensions between supporters of former President Jacob Zuma and the incumbent Cyril Ramaphosa. The party's Secretary General Ace Mahashule says the NEC wants the issues in KZN resolved.
8: Once the, the province meets the threshold, then they, they qualify to go to a conference. But we are sensitive to the issues of KZN, and we are further going to look and send the team to KZN, not just to go to Gwala or Moses Mabida, but still to continue doing the work in the rest of the other regions, uh, politically, so that we stabilize uh,
7: Five months on following the party's 54th national elective conference, the ANC is still preaching unity within its structures, and this was one of the key focus during the NEC meeting over the weekend. Mahashule elaborates.
8: I think it was a major debate that as the National Executive Committee we need to go on the ground and continue cementing the unity of our people, South African society, the unity within the ANC, deal with whatever challenges. So I think all of us are going to come out here further inspired to go and do our work. And we're reminding everybody that this is the time for all of us to be accountable.
7: The ANC says there is still no final decision on expropriation of land without compensation policy. The governing party held a consultative summit on land last week focusing on its 54th National Conference Resolution on Land. The summit recommendations included amending the use of Section 25 of the Constitution to press ahead with expropriation of land in order to test the argument that the Constitution does permit expropriation without compensation in certain circumstances. The summit also received input from and noted the report of Mutante High-Level Panel on assessment of key legislation and acceleration of fundamental change which recommended that the ANC further engage with the specific issues raised and the recommendations outlined in the report including engagements with traditional leaders and communities living on communal land. Mahashule says they will continue to engage further.
8: We have taken a decision to engage traditional leadership throughout South Africa. So that, that work is uh, is work in progress. And we're saying also that uh, the views of Comrade Khalema was not the views of Khalema as an individual. It was the views of that panel which was appointed by Parliament. And it was not the views of the ANC when it comes to the issue of traditional leadership and the land. And, and I think we're saying as the ANC we need to accept and understand that there are other views... And we need to bring all these views together. We need to engage. And that's why we'll be engaging the traditional leadership.
7: The ANC's highest decision-making body between conferences has welcomed the resignation of Supra Mahuma Bilu as Northwest Premier. The NEC also considered three names of Mahuma possible successor as presented by the Provincial Executive Committee. However, no formal announcement has been made on the final decision. As part of forging unity in the province following anti-Mahuma protests, President Cyril Ramaphosa will launch the ANC's volunteer campaign to Mamina in the Northwest on the 2nd of June. I'm Amos Power in Pretoria.
5: Hi, I'm Pule Lebati, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times. Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time. And from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulabati on Channel Africa from an African Perspective.
1: The Democratic Republic of Congo has revised downwards the number of people who have died in the latest Ebola outbreak. On Wednesday, it was reported that 27 people were believed to have died from the disease, but further tests have ruled out Ebola in five of the deaths. This is the ninth outbreak to hit the Central African nation since Ebola was identified in the 1970s. In contrast to the way the disease has spread previously in some West African countries, the authorities in the DRC believe they have the strategies to contain the recurrent outbreaks, the BBC's Ansoy
9: reports from Kinshasa. Dried monkeys, bats and warthogs, all of them are on sale here. One trader invites us to buy some. This is the bushmeat market in Kinshasa. It's as busy as ever. There are warnings against eating this meat in the country, but few are ready to comply. This woman says it's her favourite food and she's never fallen ill after consuming it. The Ebola virus is thought to reside in dead wild animals.
10: If you don't eat your meat, please send it to me. I will eat it.
9: (laughs) But Dr. Jean-Jacques Muyembe says they haven't found enough evidence from samples collected in the wild. And even if there was it would only infect one hunter. An Ebola outbreak is driven by person-to-person contact.
10: I am confident because I I think I have a very good experience with the disease and I think we'll, uh, we'll stop the outbreak as soon as possible.
9: Dr. Muyembe is clad in full protective gear as he examines Ebola virus samples in his lab. He was among researchers who first identified the disease in 1976 here in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He has been part of the response teams in the nine outbreaks the country has had.
10: So we have some experience how to uh, to manage this kind of outbreak in a city. I, I don't think that we will have the situation like uh, in West African countries uh, that have been hit by uh, the worst of Ebola heartbreak in in 2014.
9: That experience has come in handy during the current outbreak.
10: What they are doing right is that uh, at least they know what to do.
9: Dr. Michelle Yao leads the World Health Organization's team here.
10: So uh, we were very uh, positively surprised that uh, in most of the area that we visit, at least uh, they have uh, a response plan. They have uh, also a response committee in place. Now, what needs to be uh, provided is uh, mainly logistic support.
9: A lot of the transport moving medical supplies and health workers is by air. Some of the affected areas don't even have roads leading to them. It's a logistical nightmare. But again, it has meant that people typically don't travel often using modern means in the rural areas and that has significantly reduced the chances of the infection spreading in the past. The city of Mbandaka, home to more than one million people. It's more densely populated, and there is frequent travel by boat on the river Congo to bigger cities like the capital, Kinshasa, and neighbouring Brazzaville. Many are worried that if the outbreak here is not controlled, it could grow fast. But Health Minister Dr. Oli Kalenga says even this is manageable.
3: It's not the first outbreak in an urban area. I think in Kikwit, it was also an outbreak in an urban area, uh, less than 500 kilometres from Kinshasa. So that outbreak was also an outbreak of of high risk. We are ready for the worst-case scenario.
9: About five health workers in Bandaka are putting on protective clothing before going into a treatment centre. Ebola control has improved since the big outbreak in West Africa. A vaccine is also being used for the first time. With the DRC's experience and the new ways of stopping Ebola infection, there is a sense of optimism here that the outbreak will be brought under control.
1: That reports by the BBC's Anne SOI in Kinshasa. South Africa is leading the world's response to the HIV epidemic with major research projects in the prevention, treatment and care of people living with HIV, AIDS and TB, leading to breakthroughs and new treatment. This is the view of Professor Ian Sané, head and principal investigator at the Clinical HIV Research Unit at the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg. The comment comes as countries commemorated World Clinical Trials Day recently, marking the day in, 17, in 1747 on which James Lind is believed to have begun the first known control trial comparing different treatments for scurvy, a disease resulting from a lack of vitamin C, which was common among sailors in the British Royal Navy. Professor Sané elaborates.
11: The expansion of the treatment of HIV has been exemplary. You know, when I started my career in HIV, we were running clinics that were really palliative clinics trying to prevent people from getting sick. And then the start of the identification of antiretroviral therapy first with AZT, but then a very accelerated pathway to identifying new drugs, new medicines for HIV came through. In clinical research, we've seen the registration of over 30 medicines for HIV. Progressively, we've seen an improvement in the effectiveness, so how well the drugs stop the replication of HIV, but also the improvement in safety and the improvement in dosing interval to be one pill once a day. And so now one pill once a day treatment has reduced the mortality related to AIDS by 95% and we have millions of patients on successful treatment.
9: Are there any successful clinical trials professor conducted here in South Africa that have contributed to some of the advancements that you're talking about?
11: The interesting part is that one of the big progresses we've seen is the collaboration across multiple countries to, in fact, conduct clinical research work in an efficient and rapid way. So South Africa is one of the biggest contributors, but we form part of international networks both funded by the pharmaceutical industry in the early phases of of clinical trial development, of clinical research development, but then later funded by agencies like Gates Foundation and the National Institute of Health and the MRC in South Africa and the MRC in the UK, we've seen more adaptive studies come through that generate and drive our treatment guidelines. So we are contributing to networks, probably 18 countries, outside of the US and Europe that are working on clinical research and South Africa has this incredible overlap between strong academia, very good infrastructure and laboratories and even our airports and courier infrastructure together with the need to treat a population of HIV and TB patients and so this overlap places South Africa in a leading position to contribute towards international research.
9: So what challenges do you think face research efforts into infectious diseases today?
11: So the challenges are patient-based. So we obviously need to continue to enroll patients, participants, as we like to call people taking part in research. And we encourage the general patient population to consider research, make sure that in fact it is ethical compliant and South Africa has a very strong ethics base, the right to consent both for procedures and to take part in research is actually part of the constitution of South Africa and it filters down through very strong ethics committees at the different institutions. We have a very strong Department of Health participation in research and we have a very strong Medicine Control Council now called SACRA. And all of those make for a really good foundation. We are getting to the point where some of our the execution of that is becoming bureaucratic with more and more red tape that has the potential for all these regulatory pathways to take up to anything between 12 and 18 months to register a new study. And that has a potential to make South Africa less competitive to the other African countries but it is done out of the spirit of wanting to do the right thing and to protect participants taking part in clinical research.
9: And how has the country managed to ensure that its clinical trials adhere to international best practice?
11: So the assurances are those that I listed earlier. So research cannot be conducted without approval, protection of the participant is already a constitutional right and the supervision by the ethics committees, the Department of Health in each province, and the SAPRA, what you see called the South Medicine Control Council, those are the three pillars of protection. We also insist on clinical trials insurance, which means that a participant who has a research-related injury that the best medical care is provided for through insurance. And then the watchdogs are really the ethics committees and participants who believe that there is something untoward happening in a study have got direct access to the ethics committees. And we do get whistleblower-type events occurring, which are investigated by the ethics committee. And then there are measures to, from shutting down the study to some severe irregularity. There are also measures to report investigators to the Health Protection Council. That happens actually very rarely because before a study is approved, there are multiple levels of peer review that go on other doctors reviewing what the proposed research is. So we have actually got in South Africa quite a good track record, in excellent track record of protection of participants, but also a good track record in following up on the events that
1: occur. That's Professor Ian Sane, head and principal investigator at the Clinical HIV Research Unit at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, speaking to Elizabeth Let us
12: all unite and celebrate together.
1: This is indeed
13: a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. For the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit, your health and
6: a party. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa celebrating a hundred years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective.
1: The UN World Food Programme the WFP is emphasizing the need for Africa to come up with its own solutions to problems faced on the continent. Specifically, WFP says Africa needs to devise effective ways to improve the nutrition of its population. Hunger and food insecurity continues to plague the lives of millions
6: around the world, but mostly in Africa and Asia. Jane Rabutata reports. Hunger and malnutrition are in fact the number one risk to health worldwide, greater than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. This is according to the UN World Food Programme, WFP. The food agency, however, emphasizes that the good news is that hunger is entirely solvable with today's knowledge, tools, and policies combined with the political will. As we mark Africa Day, WFP calls for African solutions to the region's nutrition crisis. Claude Jibida is the country director for WFP in the Democratic Republic of Congo.
14: Africa Day must probably be the day where all our Africa partners, you know, the governments, the NGOs, the civil society, the institutions, it's the day where if they focus on, let's say, food security and nutrition, we should really be looking jointly at the problems and devising solutions, African solutions to African food security and nutrition mm-hmm. issues and calling on WFP, but all the others who have some expertise in helping implement those African-devised solutions to African food security and nutrition problems.
6: Lola Castro is WFP's Regional Director for Southern Africa, and she says there are already many good examples of Africans working together to address social ills such as poverty and unemployment.
15: One will be, in the past, the welfare program used to bring the food to Africa from the United States, from Canada, from Asia. But now, in the present, we buy in Africa for Africa. And we don't only buy from the big companies. We also buy from the smallholder farmer woman who is in the border between Zambia and Angola and we buy from her the beans that then they will be eaten by some children maybe in Malawi because there was a drought. So what I want to show with this example is that we have shifted and we're using more the resources of Africa both the food that Africans produce, but also we are building the capacities of these women and these men in small farmers in very remote areas. You cannot imagine how remote they are. It takes three days by car maybe to arrive to some places. But we want to buy there because we know if we buy from that lady in the border between Zambia and Angola, we will make sure that not only she's producing good quality because she got some training on how to improve the quality, she will produce more because she has got some inputs that are better and she will produce more metric tons per hectare. And also, she will gain an income that she will reinvest in the food security of her family as well. And she will send her children at the school, she will be able to go to the hospital, she will be able to have a better family herself.
6: That's Lola Castro, Regional Director for Southern Africa at the UN World Food Programme. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutada in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Anne
2: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, doctors in Libya treat more than 100 East African migrants who were shot as they escaped from human traffickers holding them captive in the past week. More than two dozen people reportedly killed in one of Cameroon's Anglophone regions, and South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says during his first 100 days as the country's leader, the government has been putting in efforts to tackle corruption and better the country as a whole. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: Thank you, and It is 8.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. This week marks Child Protection Week in South Africa. Research shows that one in five children in the country are subjected to some sort of sexual, emotional or physical abuse before they turn 18. There's a need for urgent intervention to ensure children and youth are safe in the country. This year's theme for the week is Let Us All Protect Children to Move South Africa Forward. To talk about how communities can be made safer for children, we are now joined on the line by Struggle Veteran and Chief Executive of the June Sixteenth, 1976 Foundation, Seth Mazibugo, the foundation together with many other organizations, hosted a Making Our Community Safer for Children initiative last month. Good morning, Seth, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine.
16: Good morning, and how are you this morning, ma'am? I'm very good, Seth, and how are you? Oh, well, we are entering that week and also that month. Of course. That saw, you know, the abuse of children, mm. and that seeks to also look at it in a different perspective. I always say June 16 was, was also part of apartheid abusing children, mm. for having to kill them. You know what I mean? It was the 13-year-olds mm. that were faced by those guns. And now we are seeing eight democratic South Africa raising the figures again on actually child abuse. And that really is calling for communities to come together. And uh, let me just be quick also to say that uh, a few organizations, actually you said June 16, 1976 Foundation. No, it is the June 16 Youth Development Foundation in partnership with Mandela Children's Fund, the Human Rights Commission, and the Repsin. They worked with the community of Orlando East. Orlando East we have just had an experience of 87 children being sexually abused in a school Hello. Seth,
1: Seth this is it's it's very disturbing that uh, on a daily basis there's some there some sort there's some sort of uh, uh, you know a form of abuse happening to children in different sectors of the country and the world Yes. Now, this morning, for instance, um, and we woke up to the news that uh, a 19-year-old man has been arrested in connection with the murder of two teenage girls at a high school yes. in the yes. northwest and, um, province. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Now, the level of violence in the country is clearly getting out of hand 19 is 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 clearly a man he's an adult but there's instances where younger children 10 year old 12 year old eight year old abusing children who are younger than them what is happening to our society what is happening to our children i'll tell you
16: you know that one can you know when we with the other participants is a one of the organization conducted in Orlando East, some form of a small research after the AP Toma incident of an adult, you know, with the 87 kids. You know what came up? Kids were asked, you know, questions and to draw up and show places where they feel unsafe. You'll be surprised that the top in the list was a home. Hello? Home. Now, when a child feels unsafe at home and then feels unsafe Again, the second was in shops, in open spaces, and all that. Mm. But now what is happening is that the violence we're experiencing, we're also experiencing that violence where children are supposed to be feeling safe. Mm. At school, at home, we're experiencing it. The child sees the mother being abused by a father, and the father then taking that abuse into the child also. We see how many women have now been killed, Mm -hmm. and these are supposed to be... People who are harnessing children, who are growing children. This country must come to some form of codessa. It is not going to help us, eh, eh, my sister, mm. to, to be busy talking about this. We must declare some form of a state of emergency, mm. you know, where we are looking at what do we do when children kill each other, when children rape each other, mm. when again men rape men and even rape. I mean, rape more than anybody else, rape women and mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got to be getting into some form of not only a talk, but get into some form of a codesa where we can take action. Now, Otherwise, we become a a country without our children leading that country Mm -hmm. in the future. Now, Seth, just speaking
1: of that, it's always talks and talks and, uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, you know, forums and, uh, you know, get togethers and formations of organizations and, uh, you know. When is it going to be time for action? Because let me let me just take you back to uh, a, a number of times where um, instances where women report cases, for instance, of rape and assault, and uh, the reaction from um, police officers is oftentimes, as as reported or stated by women who've experienced this, is that they have no compassion. There's no empathy. More than anything, the victims are made to feel like uh, the purpose. Perpetrators. How do we deal with that um, form of abuse? Because at the end of the day, it is abuse on, from a person that is supposed to ensure that once an, a, a report is made, they're then able to take action and give some form of um, sense of security to the victim. How do we work around um, the authorities or people who are supposed to be taking care of such situations and making arrests? Deal with we these have, factors appropriately.
16: We we have decided as this in, as in this campaign making our communities safer for children. You know, with the four organisations, we have decided that now we are not going to be calling a lot of conferences and all those things. What we are going to be doing after we heard the cry of kids, we went to the police, and then kids made demands to the police. That police, what we demanding from you is one, two, three, four, five. Community one, two, three, four, five. Leaders one. So there were demands that were that are there. They even came out to say, enough is enough, abuse must stop now. I mean, today, not tomorrow, but today. Those were the voices of the kids. So we decided that now we are not going to be calling meetings. We are going to be taking actions. We went to the police. We went to the clinics. We went to the schools, even beyond a big coma, and we are starting to say, give us what you are going to do to protect children. We are not going to call it a conference, but tell us, give us the plan that we can monitor. We went to the Department of Education. So structures are already talking action. They are already not even talking action, but doing action. Us as the four partners also in the community, we are also partnering with, uh, we're becoming friends of the court in the case against these children. So those are some of the practices. We are taking, you know, CPFs. We are taking a police to say, give us your action, and then we will monitor you from that action. Otherwise, we'll take you to the dry cleaners if you don't act.
1: <laughs> Seth, unfortunately, <laughs> we have run out of time. The month of June is starting this week, at the end uh, of this week. I
16: can and also add that that yes. starting June 16. Uh, 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 June 16 in Orlando East will also be focused on child protection and child safety. Making our community safer. We are. There's going to be a march. There are two marches mm-hmm. that are being organised: a march of of students and a march of celebrities who are going to be walking with children and also candle lighting to say that now. This is the action, and we are going to have a conversation with all people with influence to say what is it that they're going to do. That's our June 16th this year. It's focused on children protection and children's safety. Seth,
1: unfortunately, we have run out Thank of time, but much. we will be chatting later um, in the month of June just to find out what developments there are yes. and uh, how the marches went and so on. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. We'll leave much. it God there for bless,
16: now. God bless Africa. Thank
1: you. 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 That's Struggle Veteran and Chief Executive of the June 16. 1976 foundation Seth Mazzambu the foundation hosted a making our community safer for children initiative last month and this theme is going forward for the month of June in commemoration of the June 16 um, activism. Now it's uh, 8.42 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine
0: Africa Rise and Shine Africa Zorza África Amica na Unai.
1: Today marks World Hunger Day. The day aims to celebrate sustainable solutions to end hunger and poverty. In South Africa, it is estimated that 14 million people go to bed hungry every night and 5.5 million children are suffering from hunger. More from Immaculate Zinde, marketing manager
4: at Potatoes, South Africa. I think hunger and poverty are issues that are very close to us as an organization and industry. If you will remember in 2008, the FAO of the United Nations declared the year, 2008, the International Year of the Potato. And it was just to rally the world uh, behind understanding that potatoes can actually play a role in contributing towards challenges of poverty and hunger globally. Demand is rising, potatoes are nutritious. One of the challenges that are facing the international community Mm -hmm. are the issues of a rising population. I think just this morning it was reported that world population is sitting at 7.6 billion and it is expected to rise quite exponentially. But I think the most critical challenge is land and water, which are becoming more and more scarcer. So with that in mind, how do we make sure that there's food security for current and future generations while we also try and protect the national resources like the land that we also depend on. So it's really genuinely truly about us being in the food business and wanting to make a difference in South Africa, however big or little it may be, and highlighting to South Africans that in fact there are over 14 million South Africans going to bed hungry on a daily basis and we want South Africans to get together and fight that.
6: So what role would you say the potato plays in this alleviation of poverty?
4: I think the biggest thing that we'd like to communicate is that for the longest of time potatoes have gotten a bad rep Uh, from health nutritionists, media as well, you know, Tim Noakes now recently when people want to tarnish uh, the image of a carbohydrate, more often than not, it's potatoes that get the bad rap. But people don't know that, or if they do, it, it hasn't been internalized that potatoes are the fourth most significant food crop in the world after maize, wheat, and rice. So if you look at that spectrum of food commodities, it makes potatoes the number one vegetable in the world, and certainly we are the number one vegetable in South Africa in terms of sales. That was Immaculate Zinde, marketing
1: manager at Potatoes, South Africa, speaking to Channel Africa's Nglanta Masango. It is 8.45, and our economics update up next with Tabi Luhoko.
17: Good morning. President Cyril Ramaphosa says South Africa needs policies that are attractive to investors to grow the economy. He has added that although the country was still in junk status, government was doing everything in its power to boost the economy. Speaking exclusively to the South African Broadcasting Corporation on his first 100 days serving as president last night, Ramaphosa also acknowledged that although the country faced many challenges, there were positives.
3: The level of confidence amongst our people has gone up. They are positive about the way the country is being led in terms of going forward. And they are also positive about us dealing with the problems that we have had in the past. Problems such as corruption and bad governance. What we have been involved in in the past, if you like, say 100 days, is actually to put the pillars the building stones to enable us to do even better
17: meanwhile standard and poor's global ratings agency has affirmed south africa's sub-investment grade credit rating and kept its stable outlook Warning the country's improved economic growth remained tentative and that the fiscal position was still weak. Africa's most industrialized economy has barely grown in the past decade with the fiscal missteps and government corruption contributing to weak business and consumer confidence. Investor sentiment has picked up after President Soro Ramaphosa pledged to clean up the graft and misgovernance that critics say bedeviled the administration of his predecessor, Jacob Zuma, who was forced from office in February by the ruling African National Congress. Botswana's local enterprise authority could cut close to a third of its 378 strong stuff in a broad restructuring exercise led by a new CEO and made urgent by revelations of perennial Westage at the peristatal. Business Businessweek has learned that although a new structure due to be unveiled at the Peristatal will include new job titles, its net effect could be the removal of up to 100 existing positions. The exercise is said to be part of a broader cleanup ahead of a planned merger with one or more Peristatals under the trade ministry. Production at Libya's Arabian Gulf well company has returned to normal. This after it reached levels at 250,000 barrels per day after output losses caused by power supply problems because of high temperatures. Production had fallen to less than 150,000 barrels per day last Wednesday after unusually hot weather caused the power supply problem. Brazilian President Michel Temer has reduced the price of diesel by the equivalent of just under 14 American cents a litre. A concession aimed at ending a nationwide trucker's strike that has been crippling the country for almost a week. Fuel stations have been virtually out of fuel and perishable foods were disappearing from store shelves. The average price of diesel was 92 cents a litre in January, the BBC's cat Wiener reports.
9: The truck drivers' main complaint has been the price of diesel, which has risen sharply in the past two years. Last week, they embarked on a campaign of strikes and roadblocks, which brought Brazil to a standstill. Long queues formed at petrol stations, airports were running out of fuel, and supermarket shelves were empty. A deal was reached with some of the unions on Thursday, but many truckers rejected it, and roadblocks continued to operate in at least eight states. Mr Temer will be hoping that this package of measures can resolve the crisis.
17: The US dollar trades at 977 Botswana Pula. It's at 1035 in Zambia. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar trades at 365 Brazilian REL, 628 Russian Ruble, 6767 Indian Rupee, 638 Chinese Yuan, 1246 to the South African Rand. It's also trading at 75 pence to the British pound, 85 cents to the Euro. Gold 1000, 302 dollars, platinum 895 dollars an ounce. The price of Brent crude is at 76 dollars, 80 cents. A barrel. I'm Tabisolo Hoku for Channel Africa.
1: Our sports update up next was figuring what you figure a lot of very upset people. Real Madrid.
0: Oh yes, Uh, well some of the pundits have have given Real Madrid a nod, but uh, how they played, what happened there, it's something that is for the other discussion, now we are angry as Africans (laughs) for one reason and one reason only is Mo Salah going to be in Russia or not you know, it was going to Light that that World Cup So we hope It's only the 17 days down the line Mm -hmm. To the World Cup It's next week Or next of next week So to speak Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know His collarbone Or his shoulder And we're not We're not very happy
1: Well Safa
0: Wow (laughs) This one again I must say to you uh, Ace Ngobo Walked out withdrew from the race Just moments before The voting started But he says that uh, they're still going to pursue some other means because they think that these elections are illegitimate. That's why he registered, got his nod, got his uh, credentials and everything correct. But then when it came to time for him to vote, he said, no, I cannot be part of this illegitimate process. So he went out. Even his backers also uh, behind him, that they're still going to pursue this. So we haven't seen the end of this.
1: All right. We're looking forward to it. Give us an update.
0: Now, Sports Update this hour, we begin with football news. Denny Jordan has secured his second term as South African Football Association SAFA president after he was elected unopposed during the SAFA elective congress held at the St. Convention Center in Johannesburg. Jordan was left unopposed after former FIFA referee Andile Le withdrew from the race just moments before the voting started for the main position. The road to the elections has not been smooth as they were postponed from the 26th of March until the 26th. Of May, these suffer elections have also been riddled with alleged constitutional flaws. And Jordan yesterday chose to attack the media for reporting on this.
13: No, no, no. You guys must stop nonsense. It's nonsense, absolute nonsense. And you, you only do it to football. And why you do that?
14: The
5: allegations of bias and mobbing.
13: Yeah. No, but uh, no. Some of you actually wrote as if it's true, yeah. and it, it's nonsense. Here yeah, you are, witness to this election you are sitting in the room you look for yourself we have in this room the electoral committee Uh, some of these men are senior advocates they acted as judges in the Supreme Court in this country in this room we have representatives from FIFA so it's your choice you can pick whose opinion you want to listen you listen to a Supreme Court judge you listen to the FIFA representative, or you listen to uh, an opinion that's not based on anything. That thank is your you choice. Thank you, thank and you. as journalists, you have the right. You have the pen, you write what you like, and we grant you that license.
0: Nobo, the former PSL general manager, states reasons that led to his withdrawal.
13: Submission, I've made my uh, inputs, everything. I came here to register officially that this is all a fraudulent scam, okay. my name cannot bless this thing. I'm, I'm done. No, no, no. It, this, this is about a matter of principle. The people that wanted me to stand and the people that have been backing me were very clear on this thing, that even if we came here and discovered that we have 100% support, we must still pull out of this process because nobody wants to be produced by a fraudulent Congress. Thank you. I believe that principles... Take time, but principles are always victorious. It's going to take time, it's going to take much longer than I thought it would take, but we are going to win the war.
0: Finally, tennis news world well, number one Rafael Nadal begins his French Open title defense today with a clash against Italy's Simone Bolleri on court. Felipe Chatrier. Novak Djokovic, looking to get back to winning ways on the biggest stage following elbow surgery, takes on unseeded Brazilian Rogerio Dutra Silva. Dominic Thiem, one of the players capable of denying Spain at Nadal a record extending 11th title at Roland Garros, opens his campaign on court one against Elia Ivanshka of Belarus. Five time grandstand champion Maria Sharapova is also in action with the Russian taking on Richelle Hogenkamp of the Netherlands on court Suzanne Langlin. That's a sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, tourna. Africa,
14: amuka na unai.
1: Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, DRC health officials have revised down the number of Ebola deaths and South Africa's president expresses concern over youth unemployment. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Magaza and Komuzumo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org or a WhatsApp message on 277 6300 3327 or tweet us at Dry Shine Africa or at Channel Africa One. And taking us to the top of the hour, folding news on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa is Brenda Fassi with a track titled Black President. Oh,
12: Yeah. <laughs>